I'm Will. And I'm Luke. And this is Will and Luke Discuss. A vodcast. And podcast. Where we discuss content related to psychology, personal growth, self-development, and well-being. This This episode, episode, we're discussing... This book attached by Amir Naveen and Rachel Heller. So it's about attachment theory in, in romance and romantic relationships. Yeah. Go for it, mate. Um, I mean, I remember reading this book two years ago and just really loving it. It was, it was really like well put out, quite simple to read. Yeah. Um, easy to get your head around. Obviously with that comes, it can sometimes be a little bit kind of too easy to put yourself into like one of the three categories. But um, um, I guess like my understanding of like the anxious attachment style is someone who in relationships would need constant reassurance um and they can put an overemphasis on the 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 good qualities of a person that they're with and kind of minimize the negative ones and um they talk a lot about like protest behaviors in order to in order to kind of maintain that closeness with their with their partner and to like re-establish contact so when they feel that the partner's maybe pulling away or they're they're super sensitive to those smaller um, so when you call them like those small movements away where they're worried the relationship's not going well, they can have extended efforts to kind of get their partner's attention. That's yeah. sort of my rough understanding of that. Yeah. So just to pause on that then. So like as an infant, a protest behavior might be what we would call like a tantrum or sulking or maybe like breaking something, something to like, get your needs met of like when you don't when you're unable to articulate your inner life you behave in such a way to get that attention to hope you you might even behave in such a way to make the other person feel how you're feeling so if you're like furious and you break something and then you make your mum furious at least she in, in some ways experiencing what you're experiencing and that's almost a way of getting empathy when you can't articulate yourself okay and then if you, um, if you learn to discuss your emotions and you have that secure attachment style, you might then learn to talk about how you're feeling with the intimate other. But if you don't, you might just put like a slutty picture of yourself with your boyfriend's mate on Instagram and hope, hope that your boyfriend sees it to piss him <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've heard, um, well, heard and read that like one of the protest behaviors is kind of threats to leave. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. That's, that's one of the ones that kind of stood out to me. And, um, yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting, I guess I I think about, um, girls I've, I've been with who might've had that, that style. And, um, I suppose also like acknowledging myself that when I would show anxious traits, as yeah. well you know the kind of uh, in the the general learning and the push and pull of relationships as well it's interesting to see which of the protest behaviors we might yeah might exhibit um i guess i'm thinking what would kind of lead to someone kind of staying in an anxious with an anxious attachment style so like at a young age it's obviously been developed with their relationship with the parent but how how is that like reinforced in say teenage years or through like yeah bad bad relationships and things yeah well um well let's put it this way so if you've got like 
an anxious attachment style, your desire to feel safe and comfortable. You you want you and your intimate other to be like this all the time. <laughs> and when, like, mm-hmm. in terms of your intimacy and your contact, and so if you if it drifts outside of what makes you comfortable, then that's when you start protesting to get them closer, right? Right, yeah, yeah. But if this person is more happy with this kind of intimacy, where, like, this is their level of comfort, this is maybe the, the avoidant, let's say, where it's like, I do, I do want a relationship because we all have those needs, but I want to be able to do my own thing. I don't want to have to talk about how I'm feeling. Uh, like, yeah. So if, if this person's trying to maintain this and this person's trying to maintain this, then they're always going to be like battling in the middle here. Right. And so like, yeah. um, that was my first thought to your question is like an anxious, someone with a typically anxious attachment style will maintain that anxiety if they constantly are with people who are, comfortable with less intimacy than they are yeah so i'm guessing like an experience of um a boyfriend or girlfriend who who has kind of a bit more of an avoidant attachment system that's just especially without that kind of understanding or awareness yeah they're going to continually feel riled up by that and constantly kind of uh yeah trying to bring it back closer and yeah i guess something around the um there was something around they're really sensitive to like small fluctuations. Right. It kind of goes quite well, you know, just even the, the word anxious, think about the word anxious, you know, it's kind of really sensitive to like small things, easily offended kind of constant reassurance. I guess, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about how that could really like mess with someone over a long time if they continue to be with like avoidant partners. Yeah over a long period of time yeah and it becomes self-fulfilling right because the anxious person is concerned that this person is going to leave so they keep doing their protest behaviors to keep them closer but because this person's really uncomfortable and feels trapped when they're this close those protest behaviors to get them to stay actually ends up pushing them away completely so and then if you have a few relationships like that then you're going to be like, why does this always happen to me? Everyone always leaves me. Like, no wonder I need to be anxious in relationships. And yeah, rather than like commu- communicating their need for reassurance and um, and closeness, I suppose, until that's kind of communicated. Yeah, so that's kind of like that's like the last chapter of the book, right? Pretty much, like most of the book, it starts with like um, just explaining attachment theory in general. And then it digs into like the three the three styles, um, yeah. And what your style might be. So it's like a self help book, right? It's it's specifically asking you, the reader, to reflect on all this. So it's like, what's my style? What might if I've got a partner, or if I'm looking at my ex partner, what's their style? How does that play out in everyday life? Depending on what style you have. And how does it play out, play out in your relationships? And it's not right until the end where it actually gives some sort of like what to do about all this mess. <laughs> so, and that's when it talks about things like uh, the guide to breaking up, the guide to effective communication, which is just what you were talking mm-hmm. about. And that's, yeah. that's pretty much it. Like the, their main advice after this whole book is like, communicate how you're feeling accurately <laughs> yeah yeah and if you need space ask for space if you need reassurance yeah. ask for reassurance there's a few more i guess we'll, we'll get on to it there's a few um specific to the avoidant 
attachment style that I've kind of just put a little um yeah little kind of t- tab in the book just to read out. I thought they were quite interesting. Um, I'm aware the conversation could go quite heavy on the avoidance side because uh, <laughs> why is that, mate? <laughs> <laughs> potentially, uh, <laughs> yeah, potentially. Um, some styles identified. Yeah, we might be a bit biased. <laughs> we should have brought yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, bring Sony's avoided. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose, um, yeah, I, I guess I don't want to kind of just move on to secure quickly and then move on to the other one or, um, yeah, just kind of like touch base on all three of them and then yeah, maybe yeah. kind of, yeah. So yeah um, like, you know, you gave a nice description of anxious. Do you want to carry on? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so um, I guess secure, just a couple of notes written down. Um, like, in my head, I find these people, like, annoying because I, I'm jealous of how, like, calm and relaxed they are with conflict. <laughs> like, it's sort of like... No security, really, <laughs> Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I think of... Uh, I just think, like, our friend Arthur, when this comes oh, up, yeah. just, like, just totally present, okay with whatever comes. Um, okay. But, yeah, I guess the main points are, like, they're okay with the arguments... They're flexible to change. They around communication. They don't expect the other partner to know how they're feeling or what their needs are. Oh, that's a big one. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, I, I think about that with, um, especially with like um, avoidance, kind of looking for reasons why why they shouldn't be with someone. They're just kind of expecting them. Well, if they don't understand me, then they're not the the one or whatever, which right. we'll get on to. Um, and then the yeah, there's no game expecting that their partner should know how they feel, what they want and how to behave in such a way that like meets their needs without them having to communicate any of it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a, they're, they're all just like annoyingly obvious things that <laughs> it's almost like if everyone communicated like that, it'd be great. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and just a couple of things like, um, that they like forgive quickly, which is good. They're not like holding on to resentment. There's something around like anxious styles around people with that anxious attachment. They like to keep score. That, yeah. that came up in the book that it's around like, I've done one nice thing. So I expect them to text back or right. I, I text back 30 minutes. So I expect them to text back in 30 minutes rather than kind of counting. And, um, and then something to, I might kind of bring this up with the avoidance side, but that yeah. like sex and intimacy is one. They don't view them as as separate, but I think that might be best to tap into um, in the avoidance side. But basically that they're just, they're comfortable with who they're with communicating. They're not overly sensitive to the person's flaws. Don't see a small argument as the end of the relationship. Um, yeah. What, what's your understanding of secure? I've kind of run through yeah. a few things, but. Um, I guess what I'll add to that is, is, um, so attachment in attachment in early life, you've got your caregiver, uh, reflecting back their, um, let me put it another way. You put yourself out into the world before you, when you're like a baby, you don't even know what or who you are. You might not have even gotten to a point where you understand the difference between you and the world yet. Like as you're learning to separate yourself as a, as a being in the world, you've got caregivers that are reacting to how you behave and your expressions. Now, if your caregiver responds to you in such a way that your emotions are being seen. So if I'm, showing that I'm angry um, 
if that's reflected back to me, oh, you must be furious right now. Then like I learn, I learn who I am. Like I, rather than like disowning those emotions or not knowing I have them or repressing them because they're met with scorn or like they're ignored or something because they're reflected back at me. I can internalize that. And that's how I build Mm -hmm. the schema of who I am. Um, So that's a long way round of saying that for someone who ends up secure and who has an accurate reflection of who they are and they're treated in such a way that they feel they're sort of unconsciously they just feel they assume that they have value and that they're worthy just to be in the world so I would also Mm. add like a sort of I don't even want to say high self-esteem because it's self-esteem implies that you think about yourself a lot it's just uh there's just an unconscious assumption that you're okay that you have value that there's nothing wrong with you that kind of thing Mm. and what about their yeah what what about their like judgment of other people that they see other people as i'm just trying to think you know if the other person does wrong by them or um is rude or angry towards them are they able to kind of depersonalize it How, how is that learned over like at a young age is it around the i'm okay you're okay sort of thing just because there's a disagreement doesn't mean that I'm not in yeah, not something wrong with me. If you have an insecurity that you're not okay or that um you know I'm fundamentally I'm unlovable or or worthless or like people are gonna leave me. If you have these beliefs deep in the back of your mind, then that's the filter through which you interpret other people's behaviour. So someone might mm-hmm. roll their eyes at you because they're frustrated. Maybe if you're secure enough you don't take it personally. You recognize the other person might be rude and annoying and you might feel a bit like a bit frustrated, but you won't think like that their eye rolling says something about the worth of who I am. Hmm. Okay. And if you do interpret it like that, does that lead to a more avoidant? Well, you're going to be filled with Oh, sorry. What was that? If you do a, if, if you did, if you did feel that something's inherently wrong with you, when someone to say was like, roll their eyes, you take it deeply personally. Yeah. How, how would you expect someone to kind of react if that was reinforced throughout their childhood? I think, um, um, so it, it, it typically it's the anxious style who would take it really personally and think, Oh, I'm an, I'm an awful person or, or like, yeah, take it on them. Then typically the avoidance style would put it on the other person. Like just give them, yeah, yeah. like the secure person yeah. might think, well, oh, they're, they're having a bad day. Whereas the avoidant might think like, you know, they're evil or, or a knob. <laughs> like they're just like they're blanket. <laughs> I write them off. They're not okay, but I am. So it's like quite but yeah, I guess I think as well with, with the avoidant that is kind of a, they're actually quite scared of rejection. They're yeah. like deeply fearful of kind of any slights towards them. So in a way, kind of those judgments put them in a more of a, I guess, a position of, of power. If they're not the ones being, if they're the ones judging, they can't yeah. be judged. That's what I think about. It's kind of like that yeah. um with bullies you know it's yeah. like as long as you're bullying you can't be bullied yeah yeah but like it doesn't actually change how you feel inside about yourself you may still feel 
deeply insecure, but that's your way yeah. of reacting to the world. Yeah. Yeah, if, if someone more intimate were to um, reject or abandon them, then, yeah, the avoidant person would still feel deeply hurt and probably take it personally. But, like, in as a first response, it would be to, like, like you say, put the other person in a lower position. Because if you're worthless, then your rejection of me is irrelevant, right? Because you're, you're nothing. So what you do or say doesn't matter. Yeah. Whereas with the anxious, it might be the other way around. Where it's like, what well, if I'm worthless, then any eye roll or negative emotion I see is, says something about who I am. Mm. I, I'm interested how, when the, in an avoidant, a person with an avoidant attachment styles, life like breaks down or they're faced with um, major life events, how they do kind of revert to some quite anxious behaviours. Yeah. That's something I've, I've never quite got my head around, that when, <clears throat> when everything kind of comes, comes to the surface, actually, you know, they may be in a, so the avoiding person may be in a relationship that they've kind of always got one foot out the door with yeah. and they're kind of not wanting to commit, they're fearing intimacy, they're feeling trapped, wanting to maintain their distance. But when that relationship breaks up, yeah, they can kind of want it back again and kind of yeah. show like anxious behaviors of kind of trying to bring the person back in, reconnect. Yeah. Like that, that's one part of this book that I guess I never was able to kind of get my head around is that yeah. why, if someone's always like this, why is it when things break down? Yeah. They, it's like they almost become anxious again. Yeah. Or yeah. They become anxious. Yeah. And then when they're back together, they want to break up again and then they want to get back together again. So it's because. Yeah. So if this is the level of intimacy I'm comfortable with, um, then I still get anxious if this becomes this, right? Mm. So it's like, okay. my partner yeah. might want this and I want this. So like we end up fighting and squabbling because of, well, you should text me every half an hour. It's like, well, I shouldn't have to text you. I've got no obligation to do that X, Y, and Z. So you have all these mm -hmm. arguments until let's say the it's the actual it's the anxious one that breaks the relationship because they just can't cope with it anymore then the avoidant who was getting this is now like it's the we we attachment theory at the core of it we all have needs for intimacy and connection so like it just it's just that we have different levels of of comfort a secure person can wave like this and they're fine it's like <laughs> Yeah, like I, I like to have it, <laughs> and when you're doing this, that's cool too, whatever, man. But yeah. like the avoidant person, it's like if it gets in too close, they're like, "Whoa, we've got to run away." And the anxious person, run, like yeah. if they oh, if we get a bit far away, like we've got to pull them back in. So if, then that scares off the yeah um, avoidant. Exactly. Yeah. So if the avoidant um, is comfortable with this, and then their partner makes it become this, then they do actually. Be show all the, just the same protest behavior as the anxious behavior because their level of intimacy has got further away than they're actually comfortable with, which doesn't happen often, but it definitely does happen. Yeah, and it's in, like there, um, I, I guess that kind of leads us a bit onto the bit around, um, in the book, around the Phantom X, oh, yeah. which I feel like took me ages to understand like, like how, what that actually meant, like, phantom x but then i guess that the, the key bits around 
that is that like when an avoidant I feel weird calling them like avoidance and yeah. anxious types. Like it's, it's just the easy way. Maybe just say like, obviously we're just shoehorning people into these three categories and, and like that's the nature of quite an easy read self-help book. But obviously that's what I thought. That, yeah. for each individual, like as you mentioned earlier, different people are going to trigger different attachments in us, different situations. Like you say, we might be secure with exploring the world, but maybe not secure in exploring um, our social environment or our inner life or like, you know, some relationships mm. that remind us of our dad who we might have been secure with. We might be smoother than relationships that remind us with our mom or something like that. So each individual will have to like really explore this deeply for themselves. But the, I guess the book is summing it up in like, in general, like your broad default position probably sways towards one of these three. Um, mm. And so it's for like a 200 page book or whatever, it's easier just to talk about individuals as three categories, but yeah, I don't think anyone yeah, really I, I, sees people like that, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think as well, it's, even though it is, it's kind of, even though you can, you sometimes go, okay, how can we put you put into three, play, three different categories? Like when you do read this book, like, you know, when it's talking about you, <laughs> like, you can't yeah. do it. like you know even if it's like one bit in the anxious and then a bit in the secure even if it kind of jumps around like they do explain the different yeah. scenarios and some scenarios in say avoidant i wouldn't kind of agree with at all you know oh. or like some of the anxious ones some of the behavior the protest behaviors wouldn't resonate with me but some might and yeah so i guess it's yeah good you you brought that up because yeah, I feel and, weird. And going. I should also say that this is um, this is like attachment theory has attachment systems evolved in mammals because um, it's a mechanism that helps us stay safe. So, so if you're like a reptile, like a turtle, you know the the parent lays two hundred eggs and they just disappears, <laughs> and then then they all hatch open and they the vast majority of them get eaten one or two might survive into adulthood because no, yeah. no parent is protecting them they're not getting parented in any way then as we evolve mm. into like mammals um we start seeing this per this different strategy of um reproduction where rather than having like 300 kids and just hope that one survives you have like three or four or five and you like look after them, you nurse them all, you keep them in your nest, you keep them protected. Um, and, and it's that, that which is where this attachment system evolved. To, so like mum actually gives a shit about us <laughs> and we give a shit about mum. And like that emotional bond is what keeps us protected. Now you go all the way up to human beings and like we are ridiculously dependent. Like, you know, we're, we're not adults at least legally until we're 18, our, our brain isn't fully maturated until we're like 25. Like a horse can walk in about four hours and like <laughs> we, we need like constant care for years and years. So, so I would almost yeah. say attachment, our attachment system is one of like, apart from our capacity for like abstract reasoning and language and stuff, it's one of our like defining features because it's so much more important in us than any other species. Um, Mm -hmm. and I guess I'm summing that up to say that like 
this book is specific to your attachment system within romance, but your attachment system plays out in all your areas of life. So I just want to say that this isn't just a book on attachment theory in general in your life. It's attachment theory in your romantic relationships. Yeah, I could see how we we um we could always get like carried away with it when we're talking about like getting lost in in the woods. Yeah, like it almost applies to that. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm glad we kind of brought it back to that. It's um I, I, something I I read um as well was around um I guess with avo- avoidant children. Yeah, is around like they learn to self self soothe yeah. like they learn to kind of look after themselves because their emotional needs aren't either mirrored by their primary caregiver or yeah. they've kind of got inconsistent mirroring going on in their life and i yeah. think when i think about that i don't necessarily feel like these styles develop just with with the parents no and like your primary caregiver it, it can develop just in like the teenage years or the friends you grew up with or life experience that you've had, like at different points in people's lives, people may have to be more independent than others. They might be kind of the child might end up being the the primary caregiver for the family member, or they might have a relationship that was so controlling that when they leave, they decide that they need to be entirely independent and they're fully reliant for their well-being and soothing themselves when things don't go well. Yeah. Um, but the note I made on this with avoidant children was like they they minimize their emotional needs. Yeah. They kind of they start to not be as expressive emotionally, yeah, and kind of dis- disconnect from their body in that sense because then it's not being their needs aren't being met. So yeah. it's kind of easier to see how like later in life the you know the the avoidant <clears throat> traits of you know not being able to kind of express their feelings as well. Yeah. Um, not finding intimacy difficult, um, that sort of thing. And having, being very independent or kind of self-reliant. Yeah. Which the book does separate the difference between the two. But, um, yeah, I guess I, I just think about that way. Growing up, if your, if your needs weren't met consistently. Yeah. Or your friendships or your early relationships weren't consistent that can lead to kind of someone breaking away and being like, well, fuck it. If I'm not going to, if I'm not being reflected properly or people aren't responding to me in the way I'm putting myself out in the world, I'm going to run this world alone, you know? And that, that's why I said in the book, like the first bit is like the lone traveler. Yeah. We think about the lone traveler as the kind of quite like a romantic idea, but in the end of the story, the guy goes into the wilderness and says, Oh, I don't need your help getting, yeah. getting a horse or, food or anything like that is the last letter in the journal is that like we need human beings to share life with and to enjoy life yeah. with and that's where kind of the story of the the avoidant becomes quite sad because they can become very um kind of yeah i know i'm going on here a bit but like yeah. they kind of they can become very self-reliant and very independent and probably do quite a lot of very interesting things in their life and meet some incredible people in their relationships but they're unable to kind of fully connect because yeah. of because of their early experiences, and I, I guess I find that quite quite sad. Yeah, that or, or either 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Or maybe to connect, but then to not sustain the relationship. So, like, you might yeah. find a connection, yeah. but then when you realise that it's got quite deep, <laughs> it, like, triggers a strategy to then run off, right? Um, and, yeah, like, they, they also point out in the book that these... Um, this like romantic view you just painted is like um, almost quite promoted. It's like seen as a good thing to be independent, to not need other people. Um, mm. Be a strong, independent woman. Or yeah, it's and they're, they're saying like no, we <laughs> we are inherently dependent, and like and that actually that they also point out right that. Um, that recognition and almost acceptance of your dependence and finding someone who can you you can be like mutually interdependent with actually has you feeling a lot more confident and able to explore the world from because you've got that secure base. Yeah. yeah. And almost um, um, the reverse, what you think might happen is so actually being dependent on someone in a mutual way can make you more independent in, it, <laughs> in terms of the yeah, rest it is, of the life. It is seen as a, yeah it is seen as a bit of a weakness isn't it to like rely on people and I suppose I think of people I know who've been in relationships where I guess they, they've shown maybe a bit of whether it's codependency or they're just like totally obsessed and immersed and they spend a lot of time with each other and they kind of can't imagine their lives without each other yeah and then they kind of break up and then they feel like they're kind of nothing again. They're nothing without that other person's yeah. identity. And I suppose like that's seen as a weakness, I suppose. Yeah. So that's a good, yeah. good point. So maybe if you get two anxious people together, then they just cut off all their friends and like hide in a house together. Then yeah. maybe that isn't beneficial for their long-term fulfillment and happiness and all that. Um, so, so no, that like I think that societal view that dependence is bad. It is it, not completely unfounded. Like, obviously, mm. obviously, yeah. There's loads of examples of people like not leaving their family homes till like late in adulthood and stuff like that, or um, regretting not exploring themselves or the world enough when they were young, and that and. Um, so I can see where dependence as a weakness can, I can see where it came from in valid ways, but yeah, yeah. I think there's a, there is a valid counter narrative to that in which actually in complete independence can also leave its regrets as well of, of not maintaining connections and, um, you know, being lonely or longing for intimacy or, that's yeah, I was going to say, like, they kind of get to miss out on that. That's kind of the, the main sadness I see is that they miss out on that kind of real intimacy that kind of, that there is to offer in, in relationships, you know? And there's, they say something um, around, like, one of the, the traits of avoidant people is that they have a real difficulty saying, like, I love you, and they kind of deflect from any closeness, you know, even kind of, walking further away from their partner, unable to hold hands, yeah. like all those sorts of traits of someone who just simply does not want to, to commit. Yeah. Um, like really suppressing that, suppressing that 
desire to seek closeness, I suppose. Yeah, or that obviously yeah. yeah. becomes a threat. Um, mm. So intimacy triggers their threat system, and actually, it's like if I'm too close, that's uh, you know, I, I'm well, whatever it is for that person's history, I'm either going to get rejected or ignored, or it's going to hurt more, or like I lose the sense of who I am because. I was too enmeshed with my other intimate relationships in childhood or something like that. Yeah. So for whatever the threat is, it's like the intimacy, intimacy itself, which we need actually becomes a source of threat. And, and yeah, that is really sad because you, again, like there's no, you feel like the independent person can have it all, but like uh, they might be able to explore the world and have many relationships but then you also you still miss out on a big part of life as well, like the the deep long term mm. intimacy. The intimacy we need becomes a source of threat. <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty full on. So in, yeah, in yeah. Object, I see. Um, yeah, go. Yeah. So just to add to that, so in object relations, which is a really similar theory, it was like you could see it as a precursor to attachment theory they talked about having like, you've got these two basic needs, the need for connection or attachment in this case, and then the need yeah. for like individuation to become yourself, that, that need for independence. And the secure person can, can balance the two, right? Because if, if your parents are, or your, your caregivers, like if they're overly <laughs> clingy and like that, that helicopter mom that, the wrapping you up in cotton wool kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, then if you're stuck in that, then, then you can't explore who you are. You're enmeshed in the relationship and like, uh, depending on, um, how you react to that, you either get sucked into it or you avoid it completely and run off. Um, Break away, yeah. yeah. And, or equally, and then you've got the other like side of the coin, which is just, you're not seen at all. Um, and when you try to get seen, your, your attempts get snubbed and that's painful. So you stop trying and you, like you said earlier, you repress those, uh, that need for intimacy. So, so it's like this constant balance between, I want to be myself and I want to be independent and who I am and learn who I am and explore, but I also want intimacy and it's like secure people Mm. have learned to find both in a nice balance and it's like the other two have just <laughs> gone like, well, I can't get this need, so I just get this need, or I can't get this need, so vice versa, you know? Yeah, that makes me think about how um, with people with avoidant styles, um, something again I heard is that there's kind of a, like they, they want to be noticed, but when, when they are noticed, they can't sit with it. They can't sit with the mirroring because they've had inconsistent mirroring throughout their childhood. They've, yeah. they've, want, they've wanted to be noticed by people but when they have been noticed, they've, they've been rejected. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of that, that theme almost kind of replays out in their life that when they are, you know, a trait of theirs that when, when someone is loving back to them, yeah. they move away. It's, it's just kind of the most obvious push and pull you see yeah, between yeah. wanting to be seen and loved like those, they have intimacy needs. Yeah. But the moment like that, they're threatened to be met like they yeah. pull away yeah it's uh yeah 
I think that's um yeah, it's kind of like wanting to move on to the two two main deactivating strategies they talk about. And we were about yeah. to talk about the Phantom X. Yeah. And there was something and I'm hoping you can explain it to me because I was trying to get my head around it, but it was about how they, an avoidant person will kind of become obsessed with their ex because if they go for someone who's rejected them, that reinforces their narrative of wanting to be single. So if they love someone who can't, who they can't have, yeah, that, like that's kind of what they want. They want to be single and almost kind of plays into their fascination of people of going for, going for people who are kind of emotionally or physically unavailable. Right. Yeah. I don't know if you can expand on that a little bit. I guess I was, that's something I've been really wanting to get my head around. So you're saying that if I'm obsessed with someone I know is unavailable, then I can almost have my cake and eat it too. Like I can, I can guarantee yeah. that I won't get too close to anyone because the person I'm close to is unavailable to me. So it's kind of like a, I've almost learned through my chemistry, like through my attachment system, my chemistry has now become attached to people I know I can't attain. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, there's a quote in the book that I found like really interesting and it's um, like avoiding people fall in they they fall in love easily with people who give them enough room to fantasize right (laughs) like that's the whole the whole thing about you know fall in love every day on the train or yeah you know just kind of fall in love quickly with people like the idea of people quite quickly but then are very quick to find faults when they because they've got this idea they've got this idea that the one is going to be effortless require no no effort like when i find the right person i'll know it require no effort yeah and i i guess it's kind of it's natural but then what often happens is they kind of find this dream dream partner but then quickly they realize that they become human and they're in the real world and that this person isn't perfect and this requires work and communication. And they have needs um, of their own. <laughs> they have needs of their own, exactly. Yeah, yeah. so well, I guess... Um, is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah. Any, anything else about, like, the, the Phantom X that you kind of, you picked up or the notion of the one? They're the two main yeah. deactivating so strategies in the book. I can just riff on it because... Um, Yes, like you said, it's been a couple of years Please, yeah. since I've read that. But my, my idea of this Phantom X is like you, uh, I'm not sure of the mechanism why, but you kind of, with distance, you then highlight all the positive traits of your ex and sort of discount all the things you didn't like. Um, mm, have an unrealistic view of how it was. What it might be then is that, so if you're wanting this, um, then if you break up for whatever reason, um, then suddenly you haven't, you haven't even got this level of intimacy anymore because you're just apart. So maybe once you're apart, your attachment system is then free to like, to long again and to crave that intimacy, which is now missing. Um, cause like, like, mm-hmm. like I highlighted before, it's like, we still all have intimacy needs. It's, it's not that avoidant mm-hmm. people don't have them. Um, but once, 
<laughs> it's almost like if this is the level of intimacy I want, if it goes outside of that, which is what happens when you break up with someone, then suddenly you, you crave that again because you're it's like you're hungry. You're, you're, it's like if you've um, mm. if you've not eaten for a while, <laughs> you start to hung, get hunger for that the stuff you um, need. But then once you actually have it, then your needs met, and like suddenly all the all the things that um, are an inconvenience to the other need you have for independence, to find yourself, to explore. Yeah, yeah. That, like suddenly that hunger is coming to play, and that highlights all the all the demons that <laughs> and, and needs and effort mm. it takes to be in a relationship. So that has you cut away again. Um, and often in trying to rekindle a relationship that's gone like that, yeah. they, it's almost they kind of have to go to close. Like right. it's kind of the notion of like winning someone back and just kind of yeah. going like way over the top and then realizing like when you get back, it's like, fuck, yeah. we're too close, we're too close. Well, like, get, get back to <laughs> yeah, you know, it's kind of, um, I guess that's what, that almost is kind of like the notion of the, the push and pull relationship, isn't it? Yeah, that right. sort of that fluctuation between like, yeah. well, to win to win them back, you've got to get closer. But then it's yeah, I, I see. I've seen that like a lot of times. I guess when yeah. you you speak to people who are kind of constantly in and out of relationships, I wonder what that is. Is that just someone who doesn't know what they want, or they kind of a uh, the the chemistry's? I don't know. I, I don't even want to bring in chemistry and compatibility just yet. But I guess I'm just thinking about what's what's happening when you see someone or you're chatting to your mate and they're like constantly getting back together and in and out of a relationship with the same person yeah. like well, what, what is that yeah. i think you i think you just highlighted it so like um it's just balancing those two needs poorly the pendulum's just swinging one way to the other and like <laughs> you say, like, if this is yeah. what you want but you've broken up you don't have it you can't do there's no sort of romantic gesture that's like oh, i kind of want to be a little closer to you again like you say you kind of have to <laughs> pour your heart out right to, yeah. if you're actually going to get someone back so if the avoidant person's like oh shit i've, I've lost that person i'm now fantasizing yeah. and craving back like yeah you, you've got to win that back person back especially if you've already broken their trust by breaking up with them like you need yeah. to you need enough um, convincing that, like, no, really, I've changed and it's going to be different this mm. time. And I love you so much and all this, which yeah, which does get them back possibly. But then as soon as they're back, it's like, oh shit! <laughs> like, yeah, and I guess suddenly lost who I am again. I feel terrified and trapped, and I run off, and then the cycle happens again. And the the anxious right. person's got so uh, low self esteem that they're taking it all personally. So that, like, um, you know, the secure person wouldn't put up with that. Like, the avoidant person breaks up with them, they beg for them. I was going to say, oh, yeah. Like, secure no. person's like that. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I guess this is what they call the anxious avoidant trap in this book, where it's like, the avoidant person will break up with the anxious person. The anxious person also is craving them back. So now that now neither of their intimacy needs are getting back. So when they when they start begging for each other back, of course they like they're both going to say yes, and then it's mm. um, then the avoidant wants to break up again. And yeah, yeah. It's um. There's a there's a quote in the book um, yeah. I wrote down is that um, the the avoidant types 
feel self-reliant only to the extent that their partner is needy and incapable, which sounds pretty raw. Hey, like you think about how someone with that style is kind of that th- they want to be wanted, but they don't want the intimacy. Yeah. That's kind of how I, they, they want to know that the other person needs them or really likes them or loves them but yeah. they can't give that back. They, they need one foot out the door. So yeah. I guess yeah, they talk about how that kind of can inflate the, the avoidant person's ego. So as long as they're feeling good, like as would be quite a, uh, a common thing for a human being to want, like if they feel wanted, yeah. even regardless that that means that the other person's kind of, I don't know, struggling with that it, like keeps them at arm's length but like arm's length no further yeah you know yeah. yeah they start to be too far away um yeah i found that interesting just around i mean it sounds quite um narcissistic doesn't it yeah in a way or or like kind of quite horrible like horrible. yeah it sounds horrible like the thought that there's like those relationships where someone kind of probably doesn't give much of a shit about the person they're with, but because they know they like them, they continue it going on. That was something about avoidance that they can often stay in these relationships for like two years. Yeah. Even though they had no interest in kind of carrying the relationship on. Right. I see what you're saying. So it's pure. Yeah. 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 Self-serving. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can definitely um, agree that that happens. But I think it can also happen and they do actually give a shit about the other person. They just have no okay. mechanism of displaying that. Um, mm. so, so I agree that that's a pattern that could happen because it, like, the dynamic works like they're both getting something out of it. So it can play out that way where the avoidant person might not actually care about the other, but, um, but I wouldn't want to say that's a characteristic, like uh, avoidant people still can <laughs> like love people and care about them and just not to be, just be too scared to show it or feel too uncomfortable with it being shown. Do, do you see what I mean? So yeah, yeah. It's a dynamic that can play out, but I wouldn't want to say it's like, typical or, or like that that's the way okay yeah yeah. <clears throat> yeah i was um thinking about when you're saying that about like in what circumstances does the avoidant person kind of let their guard down yeah and it, in the book it says that, like they did these various tests and things like that and basically like avoidant people let their guard down when they're distracted so they were saying <laughs> like you know if they're like <laughs> it's kind of like if they're like cooking with their partner yeah. or like doing a nice activity, they can show, they can like express or at least like emanate some sort of vibe that they want to be close to the other person. Yeah. So like, they, as you said, yeah, you're right. You're right. They, they, they may deeply care. They just might not have the vocabulary or like non-verbal expression to do it. But like if they're distracted, they're able to kind of, yeah, show their affection right. at least in that way. And I thought that was, re- I thought that was super interesting as well. How? Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. That if, if the need is there, but then you've got this mechanism on top of it, that's keeping it suppressed. 
then yeah, if you're distracted and that, that defence sort of hasn't got its guard up, <laughs> then a bit of this can just sneak out. <laughs> yeah. I love I you. I was kind of... <laughs> <laughs> so what was that? Nothing, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love this. Yeah, I love this cooking. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I guess... Um... And I, I'm sorry, just to add to that. So in terms of like reinforcement... Um, obviously this defence has been built because when this has come out in the past, it's it's had a negative overall effect. So like with the way a uh, avoidant dynamic can develop in childhood, it's like if the if the infant um, if the infant expressing their needs, if that actually has the opposite effect. So if the parent and infant are like this, but the infant really wants this. And if they, you know, hold their arms up and start crying because they want more attention, if that holding their arms up and crying actually has the parent just leave in frustration, then their their um, expression for closeness has actually had the opposite effect. So obviously the child will learn from that, that actually like, you know, this <laughs> is better than this, even though I want this. Like, this is better than this. And when I try to get this, when I cry or try to express anger to, like, show how much closeness I want, um, you know, that's a strategy I've tried and it's not working. So suppress that and just don't show your needs and at least you can maintain a bit of closeness. Um, so that makes mm. sense so far? Yeah, yeah. I think about with that around how kind of, um, so I'll let, yeah, um, just around, like, in reaching out you, yeah. you feel exposed like you're yeah. open you're kind of defenseless because you're you'd be crying or reaching out for yeah. intimacy and yeah the other person's kind of gone away yeah or left yeah yeah and that's that's obviously extremely painful to like show your vulnerability and then to have it unmet it, so then that's when this defense is built on top right it's like this thing's trying to get out but it's like no keep that in because and like you say, if we're distracted, let's say let's say now we're later in life and we actually do have a secure partner. And like so those occasions where this does slip out and actually it works. Oh, look, my partner will give me that intimacy when I do show it. So suddenly this defense starts mm. to weaken a bit, right? And you you let it come out more often. And yeah. And then I've got a partner who can like give me that intimacy when they want it without enmeshing me and it's still allowing me that space suddenly that's how this idea of earned security can come about and the person who was more avoidant can learn to become more secure when probably when they're with a secure partner who is flexible in um, meeting their needs and someone who's able to kind of um point out their behaviors in a way that's kind of sensitive and supporting because like avoidant people with an avoidant style yeah. are like very sensitive to criticism and right. very like um it, they'll deflect a lot so if something's going wrong in the relationship they'll often kind of blame the other person so i imagine if if an avoidant person was with a secure partner who was incredibly supportive calm kind patient forgiving like giving them room to kind of express themselves maybe in a bit of a muddled way to start with but kind of maybe judging the the intention and not the kind of final behavior 
I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you um have you ever come across nonviolent communication? I I haven't read anything specifically on that. I guess the the words kind of imply something, but I'm not sure so, anything so about that. So, it's, yeah. a, it's, so, a style, it's a style of communication which um in terms of the listening side of things, because obviously communication is about expressing yourself but also listening to the other. Um you just you just highlighted like part of their strategy, which is like um, don't listen <laughs> it's almost like listen to the person's like suffering and needs underneath the words that they're actually using because like yeah, you know if someone says like um I don't know, I hate you and <laughs> you, you you always leave the washing out like. There's more going on than like than that, and that you can probably hear that there's if if you kind of um um get used to picking up on like the the feelings and needs underneath that expression, like they might have articulated themselves in a way that's probably even like a protest behavior, but if you're able to say like mm. I, <laughs> So it's, it sounds like you're uh, you're pretty angry. Like then you're listening to the actual life of the person rather than like the nuances mm. of like being right or wrong in the content of what they're saying right now. Because often so many arguments are they're like the straw that breaks the camel's back of like I don't know stupid things like the household chores like the washing or like who picks the kids mm. up or whatever. But it yeah, often underpinning all that is like. <laughs> I want to be seen and appreciated or like I want intimacy or I need space or like I feel frustrated or angry or sad or lonely. Like there's, there's real life underpinning those arguments. And so like, like what you said, it's about listening to the feelings behind it rather than the, well, the way they're poorly articulated in words. Yeah. Yeah. We did something in, um, in my last job where we every did like group trainings and they go, you know, at the beginning they're like, so guys, we can do some group rules here. So who's got some? And then people put their hand up like, you know, wait till other people finish talking. And just the usual group rules of just like respect each other. But then someone came up with a really good one that was like kind of similar along the lines of you. It's called like sensitive listening. Yeah. Where it's like sometimes when we try and articulate ourselves, what we're trying to say is doesn't come out the way we wanted it to at first. Like, allow people to have like a couple of goes at saying what they need to say or allow people to kind of make mistakes because we're talking about new ideas and new concepts. And I suppose that's kind of even in relation to like when you listen to like people on TV or people doing like podcasts or videos online or responding to questions in a live audience, like people do mumble their words or kind of get, say things not how they intended. So I guess that's, yeah, that's kind of one of the, I don't think that's mentioned like necessarily kind of in the book. So I guess that's yeah. something quite, yeah, quite yeah. good that you brought up there around that. Well, the, I, again, it's been a while since I read it, but the, I remember the, the chapter on communication was probably the chapter I had the most issue with. Um, although I'm really glad that they highlighted communication as um, an important part of um like self work and and um hopefully learning to 
uh, notice your attachment and to learning to express yourself and all that, I just felt that they didn't quite, there were some examples they had, which was like, oh, when you said this, it made me feel this. And I, I think um, to say you made me feel like is still putting the responsibility on you. Whereas, yeah, like, yeah. You, could, you could have said that same thing to 10 people and got 10 completely different emotions on the other end of it. So like no one mm. makes us feel anything like our whole cumulative history and like even our evolution of our, <laughs> of our brain makeup and like what we had for breakfast that morning, whether we're hungry, like how well we slept, like all that goes into how we feel in response to a stimulus. So um, it sounds a little nitpicky, but like, I think it's important to communicate in a way that is least likely to be taken as a judgment on the other person or a criticism. Mm, especially with someone who's like avoidant as well, who's kind of exactly. sensitive to slights and things. Yeah. Yeah. So if you say to an avoidant person, oh, you made me feel angry, <laughs> they'll just run away. <laughs> <laughs> You're the problem. You're complaining. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, yeah. so there was, I, although I liked that they highlighted communication as an important part of attachment in romance, I, I think my advice to anyone would be like, look up nonviolent communication. Like they've got it nailed in terms of like expressing your, um, when you communicate about your, you're talking about observations, which are just facts. So when you said, pick up the washing, like if you did actually use those words, pick up the washing, then that's just a true thing that happened. I'm not guessing your judgments. I'm not guessing how you felt. I'm not predicting the future. Like I can make observations about facts. It's like when you said X, I felt angry. That's also true because if I did feel angry, then that's just true. <laughs> and yeah, um, yeah. But then you can also end it with a sort of tentativeness. Like I, you can almost uh, say like, I'm not saying... Um, it's a criticism it's your fault I'm just sharing my experience I, it could be a problem with me I'm just hoping we can like work this out because because um, there's something going on here that's, that I'm not comfortable with and it might be nothing to do with you but I'm just like yeah yeah Br Brené Brown talks about that a bit about the um, the story we tell ourselves like yeah. the story we tell ourselves so here's the story I have about this situation like, I might be wrong, but this is the story I'm telling myself in my imperfect kind of confused mind, which I thought, yeah, that, that's something I picked up on when I was, like, listening to one of her, um, I think I was watching a Netflix special, actually. Yeah. It's kind of like one of her main things, you know. And you're right, it's interesting, the bit around kind of the way something is said can be interpreted in so many different ways. Like, I remember telling you a story not long ago about how I was feeling quite like anxious about because I, I made a, a joke in a car full of people at my new oh, yeah. job, and like one of the the yeah what one of the people in the car basically just made like a comment saying like kind of insinuating like if you find that funny and that's the way you are then you shouldn't be a social worker yeah and in my head I was like the f like yeah. what like putting putting issue on her going like yeah. well. Like she now she's made me feel like I'm stupid, embarrassing me, exposed, yeah, yeah. and that sort of thing. Whereas, like you told me, like, oh, if everyone in the car laughed, you'd be like ringing me up, telling me like how funny you were, and there's like a whole car of people just laughing at your joke. 
Yeah. Like it's um it's actually like fascinating to think about how like people across these three different styles could interpret something you you say very, very differently. Yeah, yeah. So someone um for example, like if a there's like a secure person in the middle, right? And then you've got the avoidant going like, hey, I would like um I like the weekend by myself just because I've had a really busy week at work and I just want some space. Yeah. But like the same thing was said to like a person with an anxious attachment style yeah. that would like send them, send them through the roof. Yeah. And that, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> feel like, why don't they want to be near me? Why, why yeah. do they want space? It's something I've done, like putting all the blame yeah. on to themselves. Whereas the secure person would They're trust going them. Me. They don't like me anymore. It's because I'm worthless. They're going to leave. <laughs> like, yeah, and there's there's something really in that though. Like, is it like something around kind of? I don't know if it's related to this, but to like to get trust, you've got to show trust, and to to like show that you believe someone, you actually have to believe them. I suppose. I, I guess I'm thinking a bit about what you said around Nathaniel Brandon's six. Was it six steps to self esteem? Pillars of self esteem. Six pillars of self esteem. Saying around how like if you have a anxious attachment style like i guess i'll get you to explain it but like basically the way to resolve that is just to like behave in the new way like act secure and is that like would that be advice for avoidance as well can you see like a parallel um So I'm just trying to marry up all these different concepts. Yeah. So, so like how, what is, is simply just acting in a secure manner so, a so way it, to so we're, resolve we're, avoidant and anxious traits? Sort of. But there's, there's, there's a... The problem... Okay, so, so if I were to answer yes, it would be because, like secure people have um learned the skills to be to be able to express how they feel and um have a have an open and flexible mind as to the uh intentions and expectations of the other so whereas um the more the more threatened we are, which, so if our, for example, if we're anxious and our needs aren't being met and we're feeling needy, then we're going to have a story about the other person that we're that we're attached to. That we're yeah. like, this is the way things are, and I can't see the world in any other way. If you're if you're feeling more secure, you can be like, well, maybe they thought this, or maybe they thought this, or that you know they they might have had an argument at work, or <laughs> they might like yeah. Um, so. So in a sense, if if you've learned that you've got a particular tendency of attachment, you can then learn the skills to um, communicate more clearly about your feelings and your needs. And you can learn, learn to listen more clearly and to notice your um, assumptions and notice the stories you're telling yourself. And this is basic CBT now. You, you can learn to... Um, yeah think of alternatives to to the one story that you're clinging to so, mm. so when you do that you are almost acting like a secure person because you're 
you're training yourself to do the things that a secure person would have learned to do by proxy of their environment or whatever in childhood. Um, so, th so that's my answer that's yes to your question of do you just act secure? It's like, well, if acting secure means sharing your inner life <laughs> and, and not being judgmental and critical and having um, flexible alternatives to the situation that might be happening, then yes. And but being, it, I guess, sorry, just to add to that, like yeah. being aware, like being aware of your tendency to like misinterpret people's behaviors yeah exactly yeah that's as nice. well like yeah b being like able to not always like have a story you're building in your head around yeah. that the person's always like this that this yeah. is the reason to to break up with them that this is the reason why they're not the one if if things were different yeah. it would be way easier like that's kind of a, a narrative and a story yeah that i imagine an avoidant person would like be continuing to tell yeah. Yeah, and like the more so, you learn um, about yourself, it's like, well, this could be happening, but given that I've had this same story ten times with like ten other women, it could be me. <laughs> like, <as a> child. <laughs> so yeah, no, definitely. Like checking, yeah. uh, learning your patterns, learning the stories you tell yourselves, and when they occur, just holding them with a little bit more doubt <laughs> and like thinking yeah. what alternatives might be. So yeah, there's there's that. So um. I would, but then I would say on the flip side, the danger in just saying like, we'll just act secure, that could be interpreted as like, for example, for an anxious person, it could be interpreted as, well, just suppress your needs and like, don't pretend you don't care as much as yeah. you do. Yeah. 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 Which, which, um, which could come across as acting secure if you pulled it off, but you wouldn't be able to last very long. Eventually you'd blow, yeah. right? <laughs> Um, does yeah. that make sense? Like why I was like hesitant to just say yes to that? Like, yeah, yeah. Well, because that's kind of. I guess I asked it in a way that I'm kind of asking from two sides, aren't I? Yeah. Asking like, what's good for the anxious person? What's good for the secure person? I guess it's good to know. I, I guess I'm, I'm just wondering, kind of going back to it around in how the other person in the relationship would react. So let's say the anxious person has been told that the partner wants a weekend to themselves. So they might just kind of go stay at the mum's place down the road or something. Yeah. Like for them, is it better to kind of go, not, not lie, but just kind of allow them to have the space they need without the protest behaviors. We're presuming. Yes not to just like there's a better way of communicating than your protest behaviors that's basically what i'm right yeah yeah so, so you, get, yeah um you can it's not like do i just hide it or do i do protest behaviors there's like a middle ground like you can still express yourself um mm. without so a protest behavior might be like, fine, <laughs> packing your bags and storming out the house. Like, but uh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, yeah. just suppressing that might be sort of similar. They're like, yeah, that's fine. That's fine with me. But like, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> I guess to model a sort of uh, more, uh, more helpful response might be like, okay, I can hear that you, you have some need for privacy. 
um, I'm noticing my pattern to take that as you pushing me away or, or, or like to interpret that as like you perhaps wanting to leave me. Um, I'm, I'm just flagging that because I know that's a story I have. And can I just check that yeah. out with you? It's like, oh, absolutely not, honey. Like, I really want to be with you. I just need a bit of privacy. I was like, okay, well, thanks. I just needed to check that one out. Um, and what they said in the book, they're kind of like, ask for what you you need. So sort yeah. of, I, I would like you just to send me a text on the Saturday morning and the Saturday night yeah. just to let me know that we're cool and that you don't hate me. And we're not breaking up, <laughs> but like, even though it can sound quite demanding, it's almost like if you're clear with that in your needs, yeah. then hopefully over time, the anxious person might start to feel secure. That yeah. like when, so, their, yeah. when their partner says that they like, says that they love them, but they need a weekend away, yeah. they believe that because history's told them that yeah. when they go away, they still do love them or provide some form yeah. of intimacy kind of connection yeah and they can take that at face value rather than make, telling telling themselves stories about it and so so basically mm. you've got two um people with two needs that are sort of in conflict so so now it's it's a negotiation of like you say how to help both people get their needs met and in in non-violent communication uh Marshall Rosenberg, who pioneered it, would say, like, it's possible for all of us to get all our needs met simultaneously. Um, but he also said, but it might not always be from the person you want it from. So, like, um, so, so in terms of balancing that scenario, it's like, um, Like, yeah, you gave a good example of, okay, well, I would find that difficult, but I also respect your needs. So, yeah, maybe a text that morning would help or, or something like that. And um, maybe we can, like, brainstorm something. I can do that weekend. Maybe I go out with my guy friends and my girlfriends or whatever. And, mm. and or, or maybe, oh, actually, like, you, you want some space here and that's really uncomfortable for me. But actually, in a few days' time, the guys run about – going to this weekend trip here so like how would you feel about just delaying this need you have for a few days because i know in a few more days i will have that space to give to you then is that do, do you see what i mean so it just becomes a yeah reassurance is that they will get the kind of the the, the intimacy that they're asking for or they they yeah. need almost yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. i've got um a couple of points i i was interested in yeah covering um the first one was around like why do avoidant types find secure people such a challenge and what what could an avoidant person do to maintain a relationship with a secure person because the book's saying yeah. like in its uh, strategy like eight things you can do to start to stop pushing love away and stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, one of them is find a secure partner. And it <laughs> seems like that, it seems like that is the most challenging thing for an avoidant because as we've kind of established that they get their kind of needs met by having someone who yeah. is able to kind of put up with them having one foot out the door. Yeah. And, and like, yeah, and yeah. kind of the, the, the aggressive 
quote around they're only self-reliant when the anxious person feels like shit yeah. whatever like it's, it's a bit much but like i guess yeah so two parts of the question why why is it good for an avoidant person to be with a secure person and what can they do to maintain that relationship yeah so at the start of the book they talked about um like research they'd done in which people um it was something like 75 percent of people will just maintain that you know they'll be um through their genes and their upbringing will be sort of shaped into this attachment style pretty early on and then that will just be the style they have that's predominant for the rest of their life and then there was like um 25 percent who it would shift through their life experience and so what they're saying is like uh how can we kind of more consciously increase that number because the the research they'd done was on people that who wouldn't have known anything about attachment theory it just happened spontaneously through yeah relationships they'd had in life um so so obviously if you learn this stuff and you learn it about yourself um that's all that's like already like a massive bit of self-knowledge you can use to to help increase this 25 percent right to to be like if more and more of us knew our patterns and relationship and it's still difficult and it's still challenging but we can um um learn to be more secure by like testing our behaviors and noticing the partners we're attracted to yeah so like noticing when you're so an avoidant noticing when you're using a deactivating strategy like maybe when you catch yourself being like overly critical of your partner or maybe like casting too harsh a judgment or kind of totalizing their behavior as a, as a reason why the relationship won't work. Yeah. I suppose as, as an example. So you're saying like it starts with kind of awareness of your deactivating strategies. Yeah. As a part, and part yeah. of that could be that actually if you're a very avoidant person, you're, um, just noticing when your chemistry bells are are, are dinging because mm. you're almost going to be um, filtering for people who are just going to like stroke your ego. So it's like, ah, yeah. Is this, is this the bit where it's like, if the chemistry is high, your attachment system's getting fired up. <laughs> is that, yeah. Have I just summarized it too quickly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's a good, it's a good, uh, I'm I'm that kind of person who's always looking for like the minutiae and the details and the caveats. But yeah, basically, like if yeah. if, if your chemistry is very quickly triggered, it could be a sign that like you, you've just found someone who's gonna like play your um, sort of childhood shit out for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, they they meet that need immediately. Like, so, yeah, yeah. So, so I guess for the avoidant person, it's noticing when someone is you know, when they sort of seem to tickle the boxes, um, but for some reason you don't feel that like chemistry, it maybe give them a chance. Uh, like, I don't know. I'm thinking off the top of my head, but like maybe not just dismiss people cause you're, you're not immediately like you get your butterflies because of them, because maybe those butterflies are just, um, 
like you say, like someone at the moment filling that fantasy you have, <laughs> that Phantom X. Whereas allow, maybe you could allow, is it um, Marino who talks about roles and so like allow the person's roles to kind of appear. So if you're with them for a longer amount of time, you get a chance to kind of see if you're more compatible rather than just relying on yeah. chemistry. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Suppose. So that, that yeah. would be one sort of... Um, way i guess of an avoidant finding a secure person is not just to write people off if you don't feel immediate chemistry yeah yeah allow it to build be like practice some patience things like that yeah okay um i guess it's potentially yeah like you you have the if you're with someone who's sort of um comfortable in their own skin <laughs> that could be quite difficult <laughs> for an avoidant person yeah, was, <laughs> yeah like no, I'm, that that was my like why is why are secure people such a challenge to avoidance like well i think because they're, in, they're, 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 they're insecurities right sorry what was that i, I spoke over you what was that it, it highlights their insecurities so so if i can see that like because like we said quite a while ago now, it's like um, on the surface, avoidant people will tend to um, have that kind of I'm okay, you're not okay position where it's like they, they sort of like boost themselves and if there's conflict, the other person's wrong and bad. <laughs> um, as like, as a defence like me- mechanism when they're actually quite fragile. Right, whereas, whereas, yeah, yeah, because deep down, like it, it, uh, they might have sort of a surface confidence, but like deeper down, there's a, there's a, there's more insecurity of like, could someone really love me? Um, Yeah, the the book says like, there's a deep rooted aloneness. Right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) which is pretty like three pretty like strong words yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and so like someone who's more clingy um although eventually the avoidant will want to just leave them like initially that strokes kind of the surface ego they're like it it bolsters the defense of the i'm okay position like you're less than me more than you um yeah Whereas, like, if the secure person's just constantly reflecting back that we're more like equals, then that, and that the that they're okay off doing their own thing, that could be potentially quite yeah. Difficult. That they're okay without them. They don't need. Yeah, yeah. They're not. Yeah, yeah. I think that's something that's quite quite threatening because it doesn't allow the avoidant person to kind of maintain a level of control on the relationship that yeah, kind of things will be on, on their terms. Like yeah. it's a lot more, I suppose you could say it's a lot more, um, like fragile, like it, it could end. Yeah. You know? Whereas like in a, a anxious avoid, avoidant relationship, it's kind of, I, I believe from what I've, I've learned that there's like a sense that it will only end when the avoidance says so. Yeah, you know, but, when, when they're with a secure person, it's kind of like they're like, "Shit, I've got to like, 
I can't behave in the way I have up until now mm. because the person doesn't doesn't need me. They don't require. Yeah. Or just just to um, again to uh, add all these caveats, it could also end through like the anxious person because they're not getting their needs met. Could end that up is true. Yeah. having yeah. an affair, right? Yeah. And finding someone else who they're close to. And once they've bridged that gap, <laughs> once they've done that relationship hop from like one person to another, I've got a new attachment figure now. So then at that point, the anxious person might be able to end the relationship because they've got someone else lined up straight away. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So um, I guess I had. Oh, no, no. One. So going back to. Um, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. So if the. the avoidant person can almost trick themselves into thinking that their partner's <laughs> low self-esteem isn't their low self-esteem, but their higher worth. Mm, yeah. Which, yeah. They, which they wouldn't be able to really get away with with a secure person. And like you say, like things like feel that they're more out of their control because, um, they deep down know that the secure person would be okay without them. And that's just too much of a threat. That's too much of a threat. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we've identified a few strategies for the avoidant. So one was being aware of your deactivating strategies, noticing when you're starting to behave in that certain way and when you're, you're, chemistry is kind of being fired up yeah yeah. is there like any anything else that you kind of picked up in the book that might be useful (laughs) i I think especially around i'm thinking around kind of uh around sex and things like that how they've separated kind of sex from intimacy i'm wondering how someone with an avoidant attachment style could begin to be even just more physically affectionate when that's something that's incredibly yeah not for all obviously but that's something that is kind of highlighted as difficult for some of the avoidant attachment system is that they they tend to pull away from closeness or view sex as just sex but not with intimacy i'm wondering what yeah what what you would say to someone who's maybe trying to improve that area of their life well like this gets messy because like the book, I don't think they say it explicitly, but no. <laughs> it's deeply, it's deeply um, rooted in this value system that, like, um, long-term monogamy is what we're all aiming for. And you say, sorry, you're saying that's what the book's kind of... That's what they're implying, right? Like, they're not saying it outright, yeah. but, like, they're guiding us to find that through every chapter. <laughs> like, that's what they're sort of... Almost, yeah. Just like the value system of the book, even though they haven't said it, like they're saying, like yeah. these are ways to help you. F- well, I think it's even in the subtitle, right? To find and keep love, or something like that. Oh yeah, literally, I'm looking at it right now. <clears throat> the science of adult attachment. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, and obviously, like, since these like waves of feminism, and now there's all like polyamory, and like people are exploring outside of the traditional sort of you get married you have a kid 
and you stay monogamous until death do us part kind of thing. Um, mm. so I just wanted to like note that, that that's, it's hard because they're, they're sort of, assu- I think we're in the book, they're sort of assuming that attachment is saying that like, it's best for us, <laughs> like as a value to seek out mm. long-term monogamy. <clears throat> and I, I'm sort of inclined emotionally to agree, but I also recognize that that's because of the culture we've grown up in as well. Especially, yeah, especially like where we've grown up in as well with like the families we've been surrounded by yeah. in quite a non-diverse area of England as well, you yeah. know, where kind of anything other than that would kind of be seen as other and different and yeah. things. Middle, middle class yeah. rural England, yeah. So it's like... Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that that's not a good value. I'm just saying I'm not... Like, I'm recognising that society as a whole is exploring different alternatives. And I don't know mm. what the future will show us in terms of how successful that much might be. And I have my doubts. Mm. And like, like I say, I think deep down I do want also a long-term monogamous relationship till death do us part. And I have this sense that that's somehow good for me. I can't really put my finger on why other than that it's tradition. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's what you've seen. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Right, so, yeah. Um, and is that, is that something that's kind of, I believe, you know, something's changed over time is that obviously like technology coming in, but it makes a huge difference. Like, you know, back in the yeah. day, like people would get married after like three weeks Usually because they're pregnant and then like they get married. Like, I I just feel like there's this, I don't know which attachment style it kind of feeds the worst, but whether like just the the fact of like options. I mean, obviously for like the anxious, sorry, the um, avoidant person, in terms of being able to see like constant options, like on the internet, social media, and also like the whole Phantom X thing around like, if you've got access to like what your ex is doing, you can see what they're up to. You can quite easily access that. Then that kind of like both that and having options open is kind of fed by modern technology. Then I can imagine like the anxious side of it as well, just being able to know what people are up to constantly. And also, you know, with um, technology around like, you can call it like it's some massive thing, but like being able to know when someone's read your message or not. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like you think back in the day, it sent a text and if like they didn't reply, you either just presume they're lost or oh no, there you go. <laughs> like if you were going to meet. Yeah, meet, you're right. You're, like, you're forced to explore alternatives in like a CBT way where you're guided to do that in the past. Like, yeah you would probably go to a friend and they would help you help you like think, are they, they're probably out shopping or Margaret from down the street said that that church fates on today or like, <laughs> like, the, yeah, I think they probably, and they probably were as well. Right. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's what they were doing. No one was doing as well. Whereas there's so much like shit to do and so many places to be, you know, there's always somewhere else. And I'm just wondering, like, I guess you think of people who are like from, the village we grew up in, like, 
I'm just, you know, presuming options are kind of a lot more limited in like who you can be with, what you can do. And there's some sort of kind of unquestionable sort of loyalty to that and just some way of being. Whereas like when you move to like a, I don't know, a more diverse area or like you go traveling and that sort of thing, you're kind of, you're constantly left with a bit more like paradox of, of choice because there's yeah. like hundreds of people you could be with a thousand places you could go. Yeah. You know, that, I guess that links back to kind of how, how like attachment affects you in all areas of life as well. Like you could work anywhere. You could yeah. live anywhere. You, you could, you can, make, you can perpetually run away. Whereas that might yeah, have been no, I, before. And I think, yeah, that's something, um, yeah, I guess to kind of, just introduce something on like a personal level i've been i've been questioning that a bit around like where i want to live next and where i want to go yeah and i was speaking with um with donnie our mate the other day just around kind of we're talking like we could be anywhere we could all like live close to each other and be surrounded by your best friends and things like that but i i gave him like a, a a caveat saying like just be careful that you're not like trying to run away from yeah. something because yeah. I think it's easy that like a dream and this goes for relationships as well just to kind of yeah. keep it related to what we're talking about but there's always like this in my head there's always some I've always wanted to be somewhere else I find it quite difficult yeah. to be like settled and kind of happy with what's going on right now yeah. Like I there's always somewhere else to go. There always could be someone else you're with. Uh, I, I think that that's quite common in society right now. Yeah. You raised like, so many good points. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like like you said, technology now can allow you to just persist in your attachment style, whichever way you are. Like if you grew up in a tribe or a small village, <laughs> like there's only there's only so many bouncing from relationship to relationship you can do before you start to get a bit of a reputation, right? Or like Yeah. And then um, like you don't wanna be with someone who like three of your mates have been with. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. and then I guess uh, yeah, oh god, you said so much. On that last point it reminded me like so because I'm like pri- like default avoidant, one real difficulty that um, can arise, which uh, I'm still trying to work out from my last relationship, is like when you know you have this tendency to want to run away and escape, but you also have doubts about potentially the relationship itself. Um, mm. Like, is this actually the person I want to be with forever? Or is it, you know, the, um, then how do you, <laughs> how do you peel those two things apart? Cause they're so entangled. And oh, that's, that's how I thought about this. So you talked about running away and, um, and wanting to be somewhere else or with yeah. someone else. So it's yeah. like, if it's something, if there's something in your environment that you're, that's specific to your environment that you're running away from, you, you can escape it. So like if you're in a, um, you know, an abusive relationship or something, you can get out of that 
and running away helps. The bit it doesn't help is if there's a part of you that's in you, which has um, a tendency or, or a chemistry to get you entangled with people who might be abusive, then you can't run away from that because that's in you. So like hmm. there's, you can escape unique situations, but you can't escape the part of you that might um, create these situations. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, there's, there's this really harrowing quote that I read in, um, Darren Brown's book, happy. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I guess, yeah, maybe, maybe just kind of distance it slightly from the example you just made. Um, just to kind of separate that from what I'm talking about, but around kind of like whether it's a change of relationship you're looking for or a change of, um, like wanting to live somewhere else or do a different career. Yeah. There's this quote in the book. I'm not sure he said it. It's like, you don't need a change of scenery. You just need a change of soul. Oh uh, yeah. And I thought that was like so raw. I guess it, it's very dramatic and very full on, but it got me thinking about like, what, what is it actually with we want? Like, what are we trying to change here? Are we like just trying to change do we actually want a new partner? Do we need someone else? Or is it that yeah. we we want to change ourselves and we're just worried we're going to keep replaying the same pattern so we need to get out of it? Or yeah. whether we're, we're living kind of a, a monotonous, what feels like a monotonous life, but actually we could change our perspective and probably be a bit more grateful and look at the good things in our life and maybe explore the city we're living in more rather than wanting to right. move to another city. Um, I feel like we're kind of going into like a whole other territory here. <laughs> so, so on that point, yeah. uh, I'll put it back to, um, um, so yeah, in my last relationship, I felt this like, this like desire to separate and be alone, which I know is part of my like tendency for avoidance. Yeah. And but so because I have that self knowledge, I'm clocking that, and I'm like, oh, this is <laughs> this is my avoidance. But then, but then I'm also you could have two secure people that date and get together, but then might be incompatible for other non attachment reasons, right? It's not just that yeah. like you can throw any two secure people together and they'll just get married. Yeah, like, <laughs> so, li- life, lifestyle, values, career, timing, exactly, exactly. Yeah. There's, there's everything else. <laughs> um, so yeah, and that stuff's important too. <laughs> so like, uh, so when when you know you're avoidant, it, it's like it's so difficult to peel apart like are these doubts just my pure avoidance and will this come up when in any relationship I'm in regardless mm, of or is this the person or is this, or is this, the person? or is this the, yeah, not necessarily the person, but like the dynamic of our relationship, like, Oh, yeah. is this, um, you know, it, is this a, <laughs> if we were both secure, would, would, would this work as well? Like, so it's, um, that kind of goes back to a couple of your questions, but that, that can be a real challenge for the, avoidant person who's also aware of their avoidance it's like well how do i tell the difference between just incompatibility and me wanting to run away when they're both happy yeah. at the same time? Oh. <laughs> that's i don't I, I don't even know like 
like one part of me is kind of jumping to try and find an answer to that. Yeah. The other part of me knows there probably isn't an answer. <laughs> if we had an answer, we'd be we'd be in different situations, I think. <laughs> yeah, I don't reckon we would be. Yeah. <laughs> I guess like um I wonder like whether if you just know your behaviors and your triggers so well. Yeah. But it, it seems like hard because like obviously the some of the characteristics of an avoidant person would be to kind of like maybe quite judgmental or at least kind of analyzing the other person and yeah. like paying quite careful attention to like how close they get and kind of, and also like being aware, like when's right to pull away and things like that. Yeah. Like you can be aware of that as you, you like, but to separate the two, you've really got to kind of unhook yourself from that so maybe it goes back to like distract yourself <laughs> and then yeah. like make make a decision in that moment or even if you can have this conversation with the the person you're with saying like <laughs> when I start acting, <laughs> can't do that <laughs> can't do that <laughs> <laughs> can't just have open communication about how i feel <laughs> oh yeah so unreasonable that yeah i guess that's maybe something um something for whoever's listening this to to ponder i guess like as like a take-home sort of question as well like for anxious types as well you know what is it like how can we really make a good assessment of the the compatibility oh that's really yeah yeah without like with also the awareness of our either anxious protest Mm -hmm. behaviors or our um Avoidant, de- 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 deflecting, defen- yeah, defensive strategies, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I guess that's kind of. I feel like that's kind of there, and I don't think I've got. I guess maybe in what we've spoken about, it's kind of highlighted some strategies for awareness, some common traits, um, common tendencies of different attachment styles and when they get kind of fired up and when you're reacting, I guess in terms of like whether someone's compatible or not, that's almost kind of like a whole different set of questions. That is that, you know, simply so, um, that's just that's around like, so as soon as you said about, well, how would the anxious person also deal with this question? Then like to me, I'm like, uh, so obvious when anxious people are in awful relationships. But obviously I can say that as an observer, but like when they're, yeah. they obviously can't tell. It's like, oh no, he does love me really. Like he, he just doesn't know how to show it very well. And it's like, they've not remembered any of their birthdays. Like they're not loving in any way. Like obviously you, you can take this down the darkest past and some people are really abusive and the partner's still like, no, he, they do love me really. So it's like, um, I think finding that objective perspective. So asking your mates, asking people who know your relationship, um, like you've seen us, like here are some of the doubts I'm having. What do you think? Like, you know, I'm avoidant. Like, like, give me like, are these things um, reasonable or or am I just like highlighting all the negatives? Cause I'm, you know, the way I am. And yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I listen if you don't have any mates that know your relationship, then that's also a big warning sign. Yeah, true. 
It's um, I listened to a podcast today. It was Russell Brand, um, yeah. Under the Skin, and the lady was speaking to said like, in your life, you need like people who are mirrors of truth, people who know exactly what you're like yeah. when you're at your best, when you're peaking, when you're like killing it, yeah. you know. And that was that was really interesting. And I suppose like, I guess in a way that kind of makes me. It's kind of an exciting idea, but yeah. then like. I know we live on opposite sides of the world. Yeah. So like whoever we've been dating, like we don't really, you know, we never really yeah. see. And I wonder like, we only get each difficulty. other's narratives, right? Cause we, cause we're like good mates that live on separate sides of the planet. We just don't really can challenge me. <laughs> yeah. Like I can only challenge you <laughs> on your relationships of what you've told me about them. Like, which is obviously going to be one-sided. It's completely <laughs> by your own filter. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And maybe that's the issue with, like, um, maybe that's just something else that comes with, like, modern living and people living, um, you know, quite in different areas or different parts of the world and a bit more separate and, like, there's a lot less connection with people. Like, there's not as many people around to kind of mirror your relationship back yeah. to you you yeah. know you know when there's like if kind of no one really knows who your girlfriend is or not many people or they only see what she's like yeah when i don't know when you go hiking or when you go and do outdoor activities or something like that or, or even like they only see you know someone's boyfriend when he's in a bar and he's had a couple like oh he seems really nice he seems really lovely but then like they don't see what he's like in a domestic situation they don't see what he's like kind of behind closed doors there's no mirroring yeah of that which as well yeah it's an interesting thought like as you yeah kind of back to one of your strategies like getting people to tell you like how am i in this relationship can you yeah. see i'm reacting differently because people lose themselves in relationships all the time like i just had a mate who's had this long breakup with this girl like back and forth back and forth and he's like I've heard it multiple times. People are like, who the fuck was I? Like, I don't even remember what I was like yeah. for the last year. Like, what's happened? I've totally lost myself. And yeah. I'm wondering whether that's like they were just with the wrong person or just their attachment systems were just firing through the fucking roof and like they just lost themselves, you know? And I, I can speak to that as well. But um, that's a really yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah no, what you said about distance is like the way you can. Because, yeah, I mean, that wasn't in the book, but the idea of, um, like, checking out your relationships with your people, other people you love, your friends and family who see it, like, that, I feel like that could be a chapter itself in the book if they wanted to add one. But, like, um, yeah, like you say, with, with all this, like, living long distance, um, like, both you and I, we're, we live in, like, cities away from our closest friends and families. So it's like you can, when I was in a long distance relationship and I'm, we're seeing each other every other weekend, like obviously we don't really want to go hanging out with other people. It's like those two days mm. we've got every 14 days to spend with each other. Of course we want to spend that together. But then by doing yeah. that, you don't get all this social feedback of like hanging yeah, out with your girlfriend, with yeah. your friends and your family often. And, um, then when it comes to like questioning the relationship, you, you've got no real, uh, 
mirroring or reflection from other people around you to like put you in line yeah and i think i think that probably contributes a lot why maybe over the years like i'm sure i've, I've called you up a number of times kind of just feeling very indecisive i've yeah, got yeah. no like so here we go so my frame of reference for like traveling exploring the world stepping out is quite strong because I've seen you do it. I've seen Arthur do it, Dave, like a number of our friends go around the world. Like, ah, oh, we, we talked about like, we've got no frame of reference for doing cool. Like no <laughs> one we are, no one like we're close with is, isn't like ambitious yeah. or like doesn't want to like at least try and do something meaningful with their life. But when it comes to relationships, like, like, because we can like hear of those travel stories and we've traveled together as well. But it comes to relationships, like, unless we like have like your best friends kind of, yeah, meeting your girlfriend and like hanging out with them. Like, I remember meeting um, one of your ex girlfriends for like a day and you were with her for like a year and a half. Like, you've, you've never met any of my girlfriends like yeah. since the age of like 19. I'm 28 now. Yeah. Like, you've never, like you've never met him and all you get is like me ringing up one day going like oh hey yeah this like this shit's really cool like really enjoying this see how it goes and the next time it's like I should end this watch like, like you've got you can barely give advice you just like listen yeah. and just kind of you know and obviously really grateful for yeah. the years of back and forth but I think it, I, yeah, I, I, I can't give my genuine opinion on the relationship really because I've got no idea you can only be supportive of how listen. I feel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But what you feel might be off the... <laughs> like, uh, it's valid what you feel, but it might be, like, not good with, for you to, like, just follow your whims. Yeah, I remember, like, I, I was getting back with someone who I'd made it quite clear to you that I shouldn't be with. Well, <laughs> And I just remember you going, like, I really wish the two sides of you could just speak to each other. You know, the side that wants to leave and the side that wants to go. Because it sounds like you're really confused. I'm like, confused, mate. I don't know what to do. <laughs> but, and but but here we go. The best bit of advice you you gave in that situation was to say, like in the context of like kind of back and forth in a relationship. Yeah. Should I stay? Should I go? Push pull. Push pull. Sometimes it just needs like another go like just to prove to yourself either way. But I, I don't know if that's like a kind of a universal bit of advice, like get back together again and see how you go, because that's probably what's like fueled the whole thing the whole time, the fact that you've gone back. But I guess like it felt like a really non-judgmental, kind bit of advice to, to, so I didn't feel stupid right. for going back. It was kind of like, if you want to give it another go, go, go for it. Like, yeah, just use, you know, you know, both sides, like give, give it a go. Like, yeah, which is, yeah. which could, which could actually be quite good advice for an avoidant person. If they haven't left in the first place, like st stick with it. Just, I think, yeah, you're going to, you're not going to go back and forth forever. Right. Eventually, like one of you is going to see the pattern and not continue the relationship. So like in terms of like, 
that quote, a fool who persists in his folly becomes wise. Like if you just keep doing <laughs> stupid things, <laughs> so long as they, like so if you just follow your desire, so long as they don't have catastrophic consequences, then like you will, you will learn what you want from them. Whereas if you don't, mm-hmm. then you might always be left wondering. So I, I guess that kind of, but yeah, so, so long as you didn't like go in and get someone pregnant or like, <laughs> It, yeah, that's uh, that's definitely a, a whole other and level of caution that needs to be exercised. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, what I mean? like, there's there's a certain degree that like, I, I like these little sayings and phrases, but often you know they miss the other side of the coin, right? But that's the point. They're just trying to show you one perspective. So this, like, yeah, a fool in his a fool who persists in his folly might become wise if he doesn't like die or completely of his life in the process yeah. right and if he does if he doesn't become wise then he didn't die of his life <laughs> yeah i don't know yeah yeah i guess i'm but I, I suppose it's kind of thinking about being persistent like doing the same thing over and over again what's that einstein yeah. quote the you know insanity yeah yeah insanity. like i guess the yeah, I, I, I don't know what the answer is to this, but I suppose I'm just thinking around how kind of these systems become pronounced in people's lives because they're repeated. So yeah, in order yeah. to kind of stop a repeated behaviour, yeah, that requires some kind of level of awareness yeah. and like cognition around it to change, like to at least give yourself the opportunity to change your behaviour. So I guess if you're going to continue a behaviour, that you know is kind of in line with your attachment system. If you're doing it consciously, then at least you can, you can appraise it from a way going, I know I was doing this because of X, Y, Z. How did it turn out? Yeah. Good, good or indifferent. Like then you might have a clearer perspective. What I guess is the, what the book does great as well. Yeah. Is that like, it just, it just throws it out there. It's like, if you're like this, you're probably avoidant. And if you're aware of it, then you have a chance to change it. Yeah. But like, I suppose if you do it unconsciously, yeah, which people would have been doing this stuff for years of their life, like, is that, do I text? Like, why do I get so worried when my ex goes on and then yeah. goes on holiday and I feel like, shit, or why do I keep ending relationships early and then feeling yeah. jealous after I leave and stuff? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. like, I, th- I think, yeah, kind of in summary, it just brings around common behaviours and an awareness to change it and yeah. when you're going to get triggered. So, I, yeah, I feel I'm, I'm left pondering with a few few questions, but I'm it's feeling, good. yeah, yeah, I'm like, feeling it like... Would be, it would be hypocritical for us to feel like we could end this with all the answers because, like, we clearly... No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a part of me that was kind of like... I guess thinking about, you know, I don't even know who's going to watch this or whatever, but like, can I keep this general and provide a balanced view on all different types? But I, I knew it would eventually go one way, <laughs> like one direction to one sort of style. But um, yeah, well, you, you can't, I mean, we're humans. We can't avoid talking about humanity without bringing ourselves. Yeah. Into- yeah. I'm, um, I think it was a, a good a good kind of book for us to kind of start on. It's a, it's yeah. a 
great read. Anyone watching, like, I'd definitely recommend it. Um, can send it to you if you're. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, like I've, read, yeah. I've read quite a bit on attachment from different angles, and like a lot of the literature can be very dense and dry. So if like if someone never heard of attachment theory, like this would be a great place to start because it's just a a clear, easy read self help book that as we mentioned earlier, might sort of over-categorise people a bit and just throw everyone yeah. into three categories and, like, you're either like this, like this, like this. But, like, that's that's a good starting point to get your head around the ideas. Um, yeah, yeah, like, here are here are the needs you have. Yeah. Here's how you go about trying to meet them. Yeah. But, like, I guess just in the kind of a... in the play of life, like, the, the behaviours people have to and get their needs met are really like complex and out there and they deeply affect people and your ability to like connect to others so it's kind of it's a real simple life that actually has a real strong effect in people's lives so it's quite an interesting thing to um, unpack with you I've, I, yeah. I kind of I really enjoyed this it's kind yeah, of nice to well. flip through the book again and watch a couple of summaries and sort of chat with you about it yeah you know, how it reflects in life yeah it's been great um, yeah, wicked. How, how do we go? Are we? Yeah. Any final thoughts on it? Um, no. I sh- I think I think I've sort of I, I kind of came in with a few questions. You know, just jotted down a couple of ideas, and I feel like we've been able to kind of unpack each and every one of them. Cool. But I've been left with a few other questions as well. I don't know if you've got. Yeah. I think the last thing that was on my mind I guess, um, is highlighting that, um, yeah, like it's, it's a good, simple introduction to attachment theory, but um, it's taken me a long time personally, and I'm still doing it all the time, to, to see attachment play out in my life. And like, mm. um, so, so, and also they've labelled these you know anxious and avoidant and there are different labeling systems through different researchers so some i've seen a few others i tried not to i was like i'm not going to bring them in <laughs> so that's um, a whole other thing. <laughs> just one i do want to bring in is that in some adult attachment they call avoidant dismissing and anxious yeah. anxious preoccupied and um i i almost <laughs> prefer the term preoccupied because both both styles are actually fueled by anxiety and um mm. because it's it's a fear response right that this mammalian attachment system is a is an addition to our fight or flight system like reptiles have fight or flight we have fight flight or run to mum or like yeah yeah and, uh, or your significant other call your partner whatever um but like they're all fueled by anxiety and and this idea of preoccupation um i could really relate to so like um obviously in child attachment you, they're not looking at their inner life they're just looking at their behaviors they're like lifting their arms up and crying and stuff but in adult, adult attachment you're interviewing people about their inner life their thoughts Mm. And yeah, like that, that kind of preoccupation, just constantly having on your mind that other person, where are they now? What are they doing? Who are they with? All these fantasies that come up. It's weird because I can relate to that so much 
with like jealousy and things. Um, but on the other hand, I see myself as quite avoidant. So it's like, it's, I guess I wanted to end on the point that it's, um, I wouldn't want someone to read this and feel alienated that they couldn't just categorize themselves because it can take a long time to understand your own attachment style. And like, mm. yeah, sometimes I do want to run away and sometimes I'm completely obsessed with someone. And that sounds like two different yeah. attachment styles. But that, that's okay. Like we, we can sway one right. way yeah. depending on what, which of our needs are being met at any time and the history we've had in childhood and the teens and old relationships and everything. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to kind of um, highlight, I suppose, just that it's, t- to me and my understanding, it isn't just from childhood and primary caregivers. I feel maybe particularly in my life and just people I've heard that this these styles or these kind of behaviours to get your needs met are are developed through kind of teenage years as well and through bad relationships. I feel kind of at any point in your life you could like face face something that kind of causes you to act in more preoccupied, anxious, yeah. or more dismissive, avoidant avoidant ways. You know, I think of people maybe who've divorced, who've been, you know, entirely let down or something, you know, or been betrayed that's going to change your your level of trust and your fear of commitment, no matter how old you are or what commitments you have in your life. Um, yeah, that's just something I've, I've thought about how this is. Yeah. I can't pin my style or anyone else's style. It's kind of one particular thing, that's especially true. when it comes to relationships. Because there's quite, they're quite strong examples people have in their lives as well. You know, like there's this relationship, there's this breakup. There's, you know, whereas the things that happened younger in our childhood, maybe we're unable to kind of strongly recognize or identify with. So maybe it's helpful to kind of look at examples we do know and we are familiar yeah. with that are a bit kind of a bit more recent, a bit more familiar, but that's, um, you know. Yeah, well, I would add to yeah. that. Like they say, uh, I can't remember the exact numbers, but generally like the research shows that by the age of three or four, your attachment system for most people will be that that default for the rest of their life. Okay, three or four. Um, yeah, yeah. Whether that's so, then that raises lots of questions, right? It's well, that could be, for example, that you know that shapes their brain, and therefore that's how it's going to be. But it also could be because because once we've learned particular habits, we're going to continue the same patterns which end up becoming self-fulfilling and reinforcing themselves. So like, Mm. like if you, you know, you've got this like attachment system that's just ready to receive the environment of your caregivers and then right quite quickly, it's like, okay, so it seems like we need to go this way to get our needs met the, the most. And then when we meet new people in our life, if that's our default, um, we're, we're gonna, reinforce that habit but it doesn't mean we can't change it it just means that our default can become reinforcing because of all the stuff we've talked about like the avoidant person finds the anxious person to stroke their ego and then to run away from Mm. it's like you keep playing that out you're just gonna maintain your avoidant style right so so it could persist throughout your life because it's self-fulfilling rather than because it's Mm. 
ingrained in, in like it gets hardwired early. Yeah. And you've kind of you've given yourself repeated examples of yeah. why that works or why you continue to go for people you can't get or yeah. go with <laughs> that is uh yeah, it's an interesting thought, isn't it, to think that like it's not something that's necessarily kind of set in stone in its entirety, but it's reinforced yeah. quite strongly throughout your life. Yeah. Through many examples, which with enough introspection, you could probably unpack a little looking at like yeah. what role you had to play and your reactions. And maybe if you kind of took full responsibility for some of your behaviors in a relationship, yeah. looking at like what role did I have to play in that, although you may have been, um, you know, mistreated or on kind of the the wrong end of a relationship or something like there's there's always something you can you can look at that you were responsible for i suppose it's kind of a bit of a step four notion isn't it in in a step four or five like doing an inventory of yourself oh, right and looking at like what yeah like doing a thorough inventory of yourself and looking like okay these things have happened in my life but what what how did i react yeah, it's not saying you're to blame. It's looking like how did I react in that situation? How did that reinforce what was going on in my life? Yeah, so that, mm. and you can take that to the extreme. Um, but yeah, it's almost like I I can't control anyone else's behaviour, so it only makes sense to look at the role I played in this cup, <laughs> like, and to only yeah. concentrate on that because that's the only thing I can actually do anything about or well it's a very like stoic idea isn't it that like we yeah. are only responsible for our thoughts and actions everything else is like external like it's not in our like um what to call it like what did um Nathan- no who's the guy who did the seven habits of highly effective oh yeah uh, so your your like sphere of control sphere of control yeah all that sort of thing it's, yes it's kind of a it's an interesting idea that I've been reading with um happy at the moment around kind of yeah what's in your control what's outside of it um and like it's quite blunt going you are only in control of your thoughts and actions it's like all right okay (laughs) (laughs) loosen the idea that anyone else is kind of responsible for my well-being or how i feel yeah i wonder if that's of any use maybe maybe we could explore next yeah (laughs) yeah i could definitely see how you could I love stoicism, obviously, because I'm very avoidant. But you could run away with stoicism down the avoidant track, right? And, like, stoicism yeah. is about acceptance. So, um, um, in true stoicism, you would you would notice your uncomfortable emotions and accept that they're, they're just there, whereas it's sort of been... Um, now stoicism has that stereotype of, like, stoic people are sort of suppress their emotions and um and yeah, i think that's yeah. probably come from avoidant people finding stoicism and sort of <laughs> taking the wrong message from it <laughs> that like stiff uh stiff upper lip like british stoicism is not like the stoicism of like marcus aurelius and the, um like what they originally were trying to get at oh god don't get british people involved with stoicism <laughs> <laughs> Just, justifies yeah I think All us right. going off on a tangent probably says something about the conversation coming to an end 
Yeah, nice. I think we've, we've covered it. Maybe we've lined up something for our next conversation. So I know we both read uh, read that book, Happy, by Darren Brown. So maybe that's what we do next. But yeah, we'll I've got see. Loads, of, we'll loads of books to cover. Good stuff. Yeah. We're, I've really awesome, enjoyed, right, mate? Nice. I've really enjoyed doing this first one with you. Me too. I hope we can do this again. That was great fun. Yeah. Take care, mate. See you, mate. Nice one. Catch you. Catch you.